page for inspiration. And I want to display some posts which caught my attention. First, Singapore senior forgets his way home. Kind stranger sends him back in a grab and passes him cash to pay the fare. Apparently, the senior forgot how to go home after his haircut, and the stranger doesn't use grab pay. Some of our parents have been lost before, so we are grateful for such kind people. Then we have a heartwarming note uh, written by a kind resident spotted in the Sambawang lift lobby. Judging by the time of this post, I believe this person wanted to encourage her neighbours uh, during phase one or phase two previously. And then there is this young girl who greets migrant worker cheerfully, thanks him for cleaning up the playground. She said, Uncle, good morning. It's a nice sunny day. Thank you for cleaning my playground. So sweet, right? Not me, the girl. There were other posts of people raising funds and donating food to charities and organizations, but I thought I would highlight these acts of kindness to strangers because this is the theme of our New Testament passage today. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 constitutes a complete argument. Here's an outline. In verse 1, James states his thesis statement for the argument, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In verses 2 to 4, he illustrates this with kind and unkind acts towards strangers. 5 to 7, he shows proof of God's impartial mercy. 8 to 11, he appeals to the commandment to love your neighbor. And he concludes, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is the skewer unifying these unrelated verses seemingly unrelated verses. And when we see the skewer, it becomes clear to us that they are pieces of the same kebab. And now you'll be thinking kebabs for the rest of the sermon. But yes, keep this kebab of mercy in mind so that we'll remember when James commands us to show no partiality, what he means is to show equal mercy to everyone. I'm going to flow with his argument and draw out three main points before talking about the application. Show equal mercy to everyone because partiality is based on evil judgments, because partiality is against divine law, and because God showed us mercy. James argues that those who have faith in the Lord of glory, we who are Christians, should not condescend ourselves by showing kindness to some people while withholding mercy from others. Such behavior is unchristian and arises from an evil heart. He writes in verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Partiality is the product of a foolish mind, bad reasoning, and evil judgments. James demonstrates how this happens using a hypothetical scenario in verses 2 to 3. In his illustration, two strangers join a Christian gathering. In the absence of any other information about them, the foolish mind uses the standard of wealth to measure their worth. Bad reasoning leads to the conclusion that rich people are more worthy of kindness than other people. As a result, the stranger with gold rings and splendid clothing is helped to a proper seat. He is treated with the best view. He is made comfortable. On the other hand, the stranger who is dirty and shabby is treated unkindly. Nobody cares if he gets tired from standing, but he must not block other people's view. Nobody cares if he sits beside smelly feet and footstools. 
And people would turn a blind eye if he was kicked, or worse, mistaken for a footstool. In verses 5 and 6, James corrects such bad reasoning and erroneous judgments by presenting a model of perfect reasoning and wise judgments. This model is God himself. While humans make judgment based on wealth and value those who are rich in money, knowledge, power, social influence, etc., James points out that such things are inconsequential to God. The truth is, regardless of our circumstances, human beings are all equally unworthy before God, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve kindness or mercy. Riches cannot buy you a seat in heaven. Poverty will not beg your pardon from hell. By God's standard, there is only one person who is worthy, Jesus Christ. He is worthy because he loves the Father and he loves the world. And because Christ was slain on the cross for the sins of the world in obedience to the Father, God's mercy is available to us. Though we are unworthy, we may now receive mercy and avoid the punishment for our sins if we respond to his love with love. James points this out in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Anyone who loves God will be given much faith in God, which is more precious than gold and silver. Anyone who loves God will be honoured as princes and princesses of God's glorious kingdom. When saving the world, God has shown impartial and equal mercy because he's given his life for each and every human being in the world. Here, James made special mention, however, of those who are considered poor in the world to emphasize that God has not excluded them. Have you ever felt uncomfortable attending a function in a six-star hotel? Do you feel awkward eating in a fine dining establishment? Are you afraid of walking into a branded boutique? If your answer is yes, James is talking to you. He says God has chosen to save you from before the foundation of the world. God is kind to you, even though the world may despise you. God loves you because he doesn't judge based on wealth. His standard and measuring rod is love. The irony here is, you who are considered poor in the world will be eternally glorified if you love God and neighbor, whereas the rich in the world will be eternally disgraced if they continue to be merciless to the poor and hate God. So now that we know God's wise judgments, we must not stick to our evil judgments and continue worshipping the rich when it is the poor in spirit who will sit with Christ on his throne. Someone trying to justify themselves may ask, who are the poor in spirit? Well, let me tell you a story. A humbly dressed couple arrives at a classy restaurant to celebrate their anniversary. The snobbish waiter refuses to let them in even though they've made a reservation. He doesn't even bother to check. Just then, a regular customer of social importance comes over to say hello to the couple. The waiter immediately turns to escort the couple into the restaurant and begins to serve them as they would the regular customer. 
Moral of the story is this. We cannot tell who has connections with whom based on outward appearances. We cannot tell who has a relationship with God based on how they look. Therefore, don't try to distinguish between people, but be equally kind to everyone. Continuing with James's argument, I believe he appeals to scripture at this point to address a couple of objections he anticipates from his readers. Someone might say, there is no law against partiality. Partiality is not a sin. Another one who is less sure might say, even if there is a law, it's probably a minor one and nothing compared to the Ten Commandments. In response to the first objection, James replies in verses 8 to 9, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. There is a law against partiality and it is written in scripture or right. That law states, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which Christians will undoubtedly recognize as the second greatest commandment. James argues that although we may be so very loving and kind towards some people, we commit sin when we are unloving and unkind towards others. Being unkind toward anyone is sin. James goes on to say in verses 10 to 11, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Being partial in mercy is not a minor sin because it is as good as breaking all the commandments. This may seem rather odd and unjust. Shouldn't we judge law by law? But James explains that our transgression is not against a law. Our transgression is against a lawgiver. The lawgiver didn't give the law so that we may all live by the book. The lawgiver gave the law so that we may know how to live in his holy presence. Therefore, it is not about the number of laws that we've broken. If we have offended God, we have offended God. Can the shoplifter tell the shop owner, I've only taken one item and left the whole shop behind. Please let me go on that account. So also, the person who kept all the commandments but was unkind to one person has offended God. By the way, there's no such thing as a minor sin. There are no distinctions between greater and lesser sins. All sins are equally sinful. It was no random choice for James to have cited the commandments against adultery and murder as examples. He chose these two interpersonal transgressions, which carry the death penalty, to remind Christians that all who are convicted as transgressors of the law deserve to die. The person who is unkind is as bad as the adulterer, is as bad as the murderer. Nevertheless, not every sin carries the death penalty because God showed us mercy. This brings us nicely to our final point. Show equal mercy to everyone because God showed us mercy. God showed us mercy 
when he did not kill Adam and Eve immediately after they committed the original sin. God showed us mercy when he gave us the law so that sinful men may live in his holy presence and receive blessings. God showed us mercy when he was lenient with the penalties for breaking that law. And ultimately, God showed us mercy by taking all the penalties he requires of us upon himself on the cross. Because of the loving mercy of Christ, we are set free from the punishment of the law. Therefore, James declares, mercy triumphs over judgment. That is, the mercy of God is greater than his judgment. Nevertheless, James encourages us to continue living by the law. In verses 12 to 13, James commands us, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. It means that though we are pardoned from the penalties of the law, we must still obey it because the law is our guide to living as people who have been set free in Christ. Because otherwise, how would you live? Genuine Christians are not threatened or feel controlled by the law, but they embrace it as our way of honoring our Father in heaven. Furthermore, we continue to obey the law because we are bound to Christ, who shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Our faith and works of mercy will identify us as people of God. Those who do not show works of mercy, who do not live as those who are free in Christ, shall be judged as those who remain under the judgment of the law. These will not be shown mercy, but going by the book, their end is death. On the other hand, those who show mercy to everyone, who live under the law of liberty, who loves God and neighbor, we will receive mercy. We will be rich in faith and become heirs of the kingdom. Last week, pastor quoted from one of our Anglican collects. He said, we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of God. I was sitting there thinking, I'm having indigestion with this week's passage. I couldn't digest this passage because I read it with a preconceived notion. I thought I knew that this passage was about justice, fairness, and equality. Therefore, I interpreted partiality out of context taking it to mean unfair treatment in general. When I used this as the key to interpret the passage, I found that I was stuck. If James was talking about partiality, why did he bring up love and mercy? If unfair treatment is a sin, how can Christians pray to God for his favour or for favour with people? And how can we escape making distinctions between people when we have limited time, energy and resources? For example, we cannot give everybody a seat in our services because we have limited space. Justice, fairness and equality in everything and every situation just didn't make sense, so I was stuck. When I finally recognized that James was talking about equal mercy and not equality per se, everything came together on a stick. When James speaks of partiality, the object of unfair treatment is love and mercy. So we can ask God for favour because his love is an inexhaustible resource. Giving us more love doesn't deprive others of the same. 
We can distribute our time, energy and resources unevenly across people if it is proportionate to their needs. Favoritism and discrimination are wrong, not only because they are unfair, but ultimately because they are unloving. It seems that I'm splitting hairs here, but uh, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, so I beg your pardon. If it's all too very confusing, just remember the kebab. So since I've almost made a mistake with the meaning of the text, I didn't want to assume that we know what mercy means. So we'll finish with the biblical meaning of mercy and some real-life applications. Biblical mercy has three dimensions, compassion, leniency, and forgiveness. First, mercy means the compassion to help a person in need. After our passage, James provides two examples of compassion giving clothes to those who are cold and in need of warmth, and giving food to those who are hungry and in needs to be fed. One time I was cycling in West Coast Park when I saw a lady with my perfect eyesight very far in front on the floor and her bicycle fallen over on one side. So I cycled over, slowed down and shouted to her, Are you all right? She ignored me and continued to pout. Then I hear her boyfriend calling to her from behind. Oh, I thought, it's not me she needs. And I cycle on. Sometimes it takes wisdom to discern the needs of others and whether or not we are the ones to help. So how may we show mercy in the sense of compassion? I believe many of us are already attending to tangible needs of others. I mean, we're familiar with donating money, food and clothing. May I suggest that we also watch out for the less tangible needs? Taking inspiration from the kindness movement, we can show the way to those who are lost and in need of direction. We can give encouragement to those who are feeling down and in need of sympathy. We can show appreciation for those working behind the scenes and are in need of recognition. Second, mercy means the leniency to delay consequences or withhold punishment. James gave a negative example in verse 6, saying that the rich drag the poor into court. This imagery conveys the sense that the poor were not given any time to explain or the opportunity to make things right. The rich judged them to be guilty and wanted them to be punished on the spot. Now, this is obviously contrary to what God desires. You will remember that I mentioned earlier how God showed leniency to humankind by delaying the consequences of original sin and he was lenient with the penalties of the law. So then how may we show mercy in the sense of leniency? We can start by giving others the benefit of the doubt. Even if some people have a habit of oversleeping or history of being biased against us or usually self-centered, let us not immediately decide when something happens that they're late because they overslept or they're out to take advantage of us, or that they're being selfish again. A Christian editor wrote in the devotion, I have it on screen, Our sinful natures make us prone to doubt the motives of our Lord and our neighbours. They hinder our adherence to the two great commandments given by Jesus. Cannot agree more. I find it very difficult to love people I cannot trust. Nevertheless, let us learn to give the benefit of the doubt and not be too quick to distrust others. 
And in the event that other people have indeed done us wrong, we can be lenient by not seeking the full extent of their punishment. When we show mercy, we can still maintain the relationship. When we demand our rights, we may be torn apart forever. Finally, mercy means forgiveness or the cancelling of punishment. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Showing mercy means to behave as if no offence has been committed, as if no injury was dealt. But we're not denying the reality of the hurt felt by the person who has been offended. What scripture tells us is that mercy means to absorb the injury and not inflict anything in return. This is hard to believe, even harder to do, because it is human nature to retaliate, to fight back, to get even. This is why we struggle with forgiveness. However, brothers and sisters, remember that we have been set free from our sinful nature by God. And God has shown us in Jesus Christ that it is possible for us to forgive without retaliation. In fact, Jesus in his humanity not only absorbed the damage caused by our sins, he took double damage when he bore the punishment that we deserve on the cross. In spite of that weight of burden and injury, Christ stayed on the cross because he was filled with the spirit of love. The mighty power of love working in Jesus is available to all of us who love him. It is the riches of God's grace available for the poor in spirit, the oppressed, the despised, the humiliated, the rejected, and the unloved. Since God in Christ has demonstrated compassion, leniency, and forgiveness toward us, let us seek him for inexhaustible love to show equal mercy to everyone. Let us pray. Almighty God and Holy Father, enthroned in the courts of heaven above, in your presence now are sinful men and women with evil thoughts and judgments, hating other people and even ourselves. Although we love some people fiercely, we're most unkind and indifferent to others. We have sinned against you. We're not worthy for you to cast an eye upon our wretched souls. Yet you are loving and merciful and kind. You desire to save us and have already sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. How can we ever repay you but to love God and love our neighbours in obedience to your law of liberty? So help us, God. Purify our foolish minds with your wisdom. Correct our bad reasoning with your understanding. Enlarge our hearts to absorb injury and not hurt others. Transform us into compassionate, lenient and merciful people who are called to freedom. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Evangeline, for expounding the Word of God for us and uh, really challenging us in uh, how we live our lives accordingly, uh, having been recipients of God's mercy and love. Uh, you know, it is uh, be in, uh, incumbent upon us to then uh, respond in kind. One of the ways we can do that is by giving of our... Let's uh, prepare 